WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt at Portal Wolverines. Holds her breath, Ann Arbor, as the bar gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! of all the people all over the world. If you hear uh, like you think the ones are, what do you call it, music at the restaurants or on the elevators? That music is destructive. That music, if we had good music playing for people in a happy society on the streets, you know? I feel like uh, my music, I have a new record coming out. I feel like, well, maybe this time they'll hear it. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And let's quickly give out a brain damage award to the Michigan Spartan football team. You know, okay, it's a big game. They won. They got some breaks with the weather, probably, and Michigan's bizarre call on fourth down and inches when they had the ball on the eight-yard line to tie up the game. But taunting uh, the Wolverines at the end of the game. Bush League, and of course they were guilty of all sorts of dirty hits, dirty plays, and a bunch of rubbish that has got no place in uh, college sports, and I don't know if the Big Ten is going to take any action, but uh, one of the players should have been thrown out of the game during the game uh, for a cheap shot on Bernard Robinson, and to taunt the Wolverines at the end of the game. Bad news. Well, it just shows no class. I didn't really watch or follow the game at all. But uh, in all sports, I think there's been a bit of a resurfacing of bad sportsmanship. Yeah. Uh, the NHL has recently just suspended a player for a post-fight taunting gesture, uh, skating by the the bench afterwards and uh, making obscene gestures at the guy. And he's suspended for a couple games. It's uh, right for sports to... Unfortunately, I have to enforce decent behavior uh, from, in the pro- case of professional athletes, fairly uh, well-paid professional athletes. There's no, there's no reason for uh, descending to uh, classlessness. Yeah, and uh, 
You know, the, the Spartan basketball team, I think, is, has shown that they are run by a professional in uh, Tom Izzo. So hopefully uh, they'll get that situation corrected. And, uh, okay, so the Spartans have beaten the Wolverines four years in a row, and it's the first time since the 50s or something. Big deal. Last time I checked, the Michigan Spartans hadn't won too many Big Ten football titles. And they may not yet win this one. There's a lot of football left to be played. So down on the Spartans. <laughs> um, I guess another local story of kind of uh, in the area of the bazaar was the jury is finally selected for the uh, trial of Motala, the so-called oh, yeah. underwear bomb- bomber here in Detroit. Uh, this struck me as a kind of an open and shut case because there were dozens of witnesses to what he did. He was actually tackled and um, disrobed, literally, <laughs> by uh, alert passengers. Um, and uh, he made all sorts of bizarre comments in court. Uh, he struck me as a uh, kind of reincarnation of Ted Kaczynski, and mm. I was kind of hoping he'd wear <laughs> underwear on his head during the trial. <laughs> uh, he even claims a Lockie is uh, still alive. Uh, he did so in court, and it's interesting that uh, the uh, role of Alaki in, in promoting some of these uh, bizarre plots here in the United States would have actually come out in court, uh, because I've heard some civil libertarians, Jonathan Turley apparently has written a recent column in the Los Angeles Times accusing the Obama administration of worse uh, more egregious attacks on our civil liberties than even the Bush administration, which I think is false. Um, Obama is, we are not torturing people, for one thing. Not to my knowledge. Uh, that that policy has been reversed, period. Well, Bush and Cheney were downright, uh, you know, proud of the fact that we yeah. were torturing people. Exactly. They, they celebrated that fact, and, and there was a brazenness uh, and a callous indifference to their, yeah, of course we torture. Wouldn't you torture? Like, you're bad if you wouldn't agree to torturing enemies of the state. And, of course, one of the people that was tortured the most was uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the uh, alleged mastermind of the uh, 9-11 plot. Uh, he was waterboarded, I believe, 183 times. Interestingly, he was apprehended in Pakistan uh, shortly before the Iraq war started. So, of course, there were all kinds of uh, anxious uh, efforts to torture him to produce false evidence uh, that uh, linked Iraq to al-Qaeda. But uh, as for Aliqui and the the allegations that, you know, he was recently killed in Yemen along with another American citizen by drone attacks. This was in a remote area of Yemen. And... uh, Critics of Obama keep making the uh, bizarre claim that he's using secret evidence to justify what he did to Alaki, but I don't think there is any secret evidence. I mean, I think there is, but there's plenty of public evidence that shows that Alaki was uh, a very bad character indeed, has been openly recruiting terrorists, uh, both in sermons and on the Internet, along with his so-called organization in Yemen. I guess they call themselves Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. And after reviewing 
This outstanding book, I, I believe, by Anthony Summers, entitled The Eleventh Day, The Full Story of 9-11 and Osama bin Laden, which I think does a fairly comprehensive job at looking at a lot of the controversies about 9-11. It's fascinating to me to discover that a Lockheed uh, knew and had contact with two of the 9-11 hijackers. He was a, an imam in a San Diego mosque that uh, Madar and Hamzi, uh, these were two of the terrorists that were allegedly on the CIA watch list. This information was never given to the FBI. This was one of these breakdowns and fundamental sharing of intelligence that uh, was examined both by Congress and the 9-11 Commission uh, and even had troubling uh, aspects in and of itself. Uh, Hamzi and uh, Medar were supposedly, and this is, uh, by the way, these were not pilots uh, in the 9-11 attacks. These guys were m basically muscle men. Uh, most of the pilots originated out of Berlin, uh, or out of the Berlin area, or Hi Hamburg, excuse me, out of Hamburg, Germany, and Mohammed Atta. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hamzi and Medar, uh, interestingly, moved from San Diego <laughs> to uh, the Virginia area, as did Alaki. And Alaki appears to have pretty much lied to the FBI about what he knew. Uh, without going into all of the details, I'll just sum it up uh, sort of briefly in saying that he was described by all official investigations as the spiritual advisors to these two. Um, characters. These were the terrorists that came in by way of Malaysia um, and were involved in a kind of a millennium bomb plot that uh, uh, didn't go right. But they moved into um, the Southern California area and uh, were trained at flight school, supposedly, in uh, uh, Arizona. And it's important to remember that the 9-11 plot, you know, some of the critics uh, in the 9-11 truth uh, movement say, well, all the uh, trainers of uh, all the flight schools where these guys attended said that these guys couldn't fly planes. But they didn't really need to know how to quote. All they needed to know was how to steer them. And the actual pilots were, as I say, pretty much all from the Hamburg cell, not uh, Midar and uh, Hamzi. Um Alaki, just for the record, and I'm quoting here from uh, Anthony Summers' book, The Eleventh Day, regarding his uh, situation. Um, and this is just fascinating. Uh, he, he's the American-born son of a former f minister in the government of Yemen. And not long after the 9-11 uh, attack, he lunched at the Pentagon in an area undamaged, I'm quoting from uh, Summers at this point, Summers and his co-author uh, Robin Swan, uh, not long after 9-11 uh, in an undamaged uh, area. The reason for the launch, an outreach to um, effort to ease tensions between Muslim Americans and non-Muslims. Indeed, there was a moment, I believe, when Bush had some... Uh, Muslim imams in a, in, a, in a kind of a religious tolerance uh, mood that America was in very briefly after 9-11. Uh, uh, Alaki, quoting from Summers again, remained in the United States for more than a year before departing, first for Britain and eventually for Yemen. He'd been allowed to move about unimpeded. 
even though the phone number of his Virginia mosque had turned up in Germany in an apartment of 9-11 conspirator Ramzi Ben al-Sheib. Only seven years later, starting in 2009, did he at last begin to become known around the world. Alaki's name is associated with the multiple shootings by a U.S. major at Fort Hood, an almost successful attempt to explode a bomb on an airliner en route to Detroit. This is the Matalab case where he just pled guilty and apparently will be uh, spending the rest of his life in a uh, full security prison here in the United States, probably in the Colorado area where Timothy McVeigh, you know, one of these uh, 23 hours a day in uh, solitary confinement kind of places, a major car bomb scare in Times Square, and the last-minute discovery of concealed explosives on cargo planes destined for the United States. Um, Philip Zelico uh, memorably noted, as uh, Summers notes uh, in uh, this uh, portion of the book, he was the uh, primary staff director of the 9-11 Commission, he said that uh, when Alaki's names hit the headline, headlines, Philip Zelico memorably noted when his name hit the headlines as a, quote, 9-11 loose end. <laughs> oh, that's an understatement. I was going to say, that's putting it mildly. How uh, <laughs> this guy made his way onto Bush's tolerance committee is sort of mind-blowing. And how he was even, he wasn't arrested. They apparently accepted his uh, statements to the FBI, but I think it's pretty clear he lied to the FBI about what he knew about Midar and Hamzi specifically. And it's fascinating in Summers' I think excellent book where really the footnotes are uh, really worth reading. It's fairly slender for a single volume history. I think it probably maxes out the actual text itself at just under 500 pages, yeah. so it's very manageable. But it's it's an impressive uh, bibliography with the footnotes. Uh, very, uh, And these are footnotes, by the way, that include um, uh, German, French, British intelligence, American intelligence, and even the murky uh, connections between uh, Midar and Hamzi and Saudi intelligence. Mm. There is a law that does not allow the CIA to spy domestically, uh, at least in theory. And the reason, allegedly, uh, according to Summers, why the CIA did not share this information with the FBI about Midar and Hamzi was that they apparently uh, were led to believe through Saudi sources that these guys were Saudi agents working for, quote, Gid, and that, that they were monitoring these two guys on their own, uh, though not doing a very good job of it. And um, this, uh, the, mur these murky connections between Alaki and these two terrorists are very troubling indeed. And as for the fact that we're not going to be exposed to all this information about Alaki because M M Motalab just pled guilty in uh, Detroit, uh, we still have the Fort Hood uh, case uh, coming up for trial. And I'm sure that that, once again, will uh, indicate uh, strong connections to uh, Alaki and uh, his role as an up-and-coming leader of the Al-Qaeda uh, international uh, organization as a, as a uh, shall we say, charismatic leader, uh, because we've talked uh, over the years about the inadequacies of Ayman al-Zawahiri. 
Um, I think that this book, just real quickly, The Eleventh Day, does a pretty good job of debunking some of the 9-11 truth theories about 9-11, going into some of the technical aspects of, uh, you know, why the towers fell. Clearly, airplanes hit them and the concrete, the steel reinforced, was damaged from the impact of the planes, the jet fuel, the fire. I've always pointed out, by the way, that because the World Trade Center is on the peninsula of Manhattan and and that these planes hit high up, it's very windy Mm -hmm. on peninsulas. And if you've walked even around Ann Arbor, you'll notice that one of the windiest spots is right near Tower Plaza. Indeed. Wind has to go around big structures. Yeah, the shear is pretty uh, intense. Which, of course, is why, for instance, Chicago is called the Windy City. There's plenty of wind that comes from the northwest channeled right down those corridors. Yeah, of, uh... and the wind's got to go somewhere. So there was an action of, of uh, basic uh, metallurgy called bellows, is what I call it. It's how uh, Joe Gargery and uh, Great Expectations is able to mm. bang the uh, the horseshoes. That's how they heat the metal up extra Wing. hot to, you know, get it malleable. And it's not necessarily that the... Uh, steel has to quote melt it's just necessary for it to become weakened sufficiently for the mass of the concrete and the building structure itself to collapse let's remember that Mohammed Atta was an expert at um, urban planning uh, skyscrapers that sort of architecture and metallurgy the combination of things and he was the orchestrator of the the actual pilots he allegedly was the pilot of the first plane that that hit uh, the World Trade Center Um, so this book is outstanding I think in terms of going into what the actual cover-ups were these murky connections between Pakistan Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates uh, recall, of course, that Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, and the United Arab Emirates were the only three organizations that ever recognized the Taliban mm-hmm. uh, when they were uh, uh, in control of about 80 to 85% of Afghanistan uh, in the late 90s. Um, and, of course, these three countries, the United Arab Emirates, of course, being a kind of complex... Uh, you know, Bahrain and Qatar, et cetera, they're allied politically with Saudi Arabia's oil policy uh, that's connected to the United States' interests in the region. Um, I don't know what you thought of the uh, announcement last week of this bizarre uh, Iranian plot involving uh, hiring Mexican... uh, Oh, drug lords to to blow up uh, uh to assassinate the saudi in, ambassador in the in washington dc of all things but that struck me as a uh mossad <laughs> yeah that sounds like some sort of disinformation campaign uh i would remain skeptical but not that iranian intelligence isn't capable of bizarre fits of chicanery yeah but uh this one seems uh a little dubious um <laughs> Ultimately, uh, so much is concealed, uh, even with this guilty plea, that uh, you know the extent to which Saudi intelligence, Pakistani intelligence, U.S. intelligence is aware of uh, things and opts not to share the information. 
you know, we'll never know. Yeah. And, of course, the intelligence uh, agencies themselves, ISI and uh, the Saudi intelligence, I think, is called GID, um, are complex groups in and of themselves. Um, one of the most interesting things that I learned from the Summers book, The Eleventh Day, um, is... Uh, Summers, by the way, is a British author, so I don't think he's got... Uh, agendas to protect or access to grind per se regarding the American political um, establishment or the bureaucracies or political parties or anything like that. Um, I think he's sort of dispassionately looking at all of the strange aspects about the 9-11 situation itself. Uh, You can kind of skip in the book, by the way, the first almost 100 pages because that really is just a recapturing of the actual day's events. One other interesting, uh, very strange um, thing that I will mention is that uh, former WCBN reporter Beth Fertig is actually Mm -hmm. mentioned in the book. Um, Yeah, she provided extensive radio coverage. That's her beat for National Public Radio. And so uh, she was pretty much there. As events unfolded. She is quoted, and and this is not uh, quoting her out of context, I don't believe. This was just the impression that she had um, reporting what she was seeing on the ground that Mm -hmm. day in in Manhattan. And um, she is quoted on page 106 um, as saying, quote, it just descended like a timed explosion, said Beth Fertig of WNYC Radio, like when they're deliberately bringing a building down. Um, where she was precisely when this was happening is is uh, unclear to me, but when they did the 10-year anniversary of 9-11, she, uh, her uh, re- on-the-ground reporting was uh, quoted extensively uh, on NPR. Mm-hmm. Very interesting stuff because... Uh, These are unedited impressions that people have. And um, this goes into the uh, portion of the book where he sort of uh, debunks the uh, theory that the buildings were brought down by controlled explosions, even though people um, had the impression that they had heard explosions. She says, for instance... Um, he quotes a firefighter named Salvador Torcivia. He says, the fires, the jet fuel burning, the nearby buildings had air conditioning and refrigerator units. They were all exploding from mm-hmm. the superheat. It sounded like bombs going off. I believe the Secret Service had their armory in one of the towers. That stuff, ordnance going off. Yes. So the heat uh, from the fires th- themselves, which I've just discussed, uh, would have been fanned by the, the wind, the natural wind, uh, I vividly recall 9/11 as being just an unbelievable, perfect day. It was there wasn't a cloud in the sky, and it was sunny, and it had that kind of uh, cool uh, fall a crisp, feel. Sunny to it. late summer really yeah. feel to it. Uh, uh, just day. an absolutely perfect day. Um, and uh, this book is is well worth reading for all of the interesting um, angles that Summers goes into including, I think, some speculation on how bin Laden got radicalized and how 1979, which, unbeknownst to me, becomes a key year um, in the history of the world for a variety of reasons. You have the Iranian Revolution, you have the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. and you also have the uh, 
changes in the Chinese uh, uh, government in which Deng Xiaoping essentially is elevated to a leader of China. And when we get into a lot of our e current economic uh, debates about the validity of Reaganomics, for instance, uh, whether the tax cuts worked, it's important to remember in 1981, China was not a major global player in economics. It was still doing internal reform. Mm -hmm. uh, that's completely different now. Uh, because just this year they've surpassed Japan in terms of uh, the number two economic power, and uh, they continue to be a major player. Interestingly, 1979 turns out to be the uh, millennium year of in the Muslim calendar, and that for reasons that remain unclear to me, because bin Laden was so seeped in um, his own religious study and his theories related to... Uh, Wahhabi, uh, Wahhabism, Wahhabism, and and scholars like Kutub and uh, a, a fellow uh, Afghan fighter of quote freedom fighters, Reagan called them, uh, named Azam. He was uh, reading quite a lot of uh, really uh, sort of almost. Uh, um, uh, I guess you'd almost call him almost apocalyptic theories about um, the return of um, of messiahs. Uh, there was an uprising, interestingly, in Saudi Arabia in 1979 in which a uh, cleric claimed that uh, some guy named Katani was the reincarnation of Muhammad, and they tried to take over the Saudi government, and uh, hundreds were arrested, and 68 of them were beheaded. So there were all sorts of very, shall we say, volatile global events that were occurring there in There was a riot in Mecca that year, too. That was that's one of the that's basically what riot. it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it was a, a, a attempt by a sort of uh, um, apocalyptic sort of millenarian uh, Muslim group um, yeah. that led to this um, violence in, in uh, Mecca itself. Uh, so I recommend this book for a variety of uh, reasons. I think it's uh, got some interesting history about uh, bin Laden, the plot, the cover-ups, uh, the motivations of the Bush administration, and, of course, the disturbing aspects of the torture, the development of the torture policy and how this damaged uh, American credibility around the world. I think it does a very good job of debunking the 9-11 uh, conspiracy movement um, though I think that it's important to realize there were cover-ups. Um, Zelico himself uh, was a close associate of Condoleezza Rice, and Condoleezza Rice, um, let's just put it this way, 9-11 was not one of her shining moments. Gee, where is she now? I... <laughs> uh, she's hidden at... away teaching law. Yeah, she's back, I think, at Stanford. Um Maybe waiting for that call. Uh, maybe she'll be the vice presidential candidate. Or one of these knuckleheads. But uh, I'm just going to throw in a quick... Uh, been talking a lot about this book, which I've just recently picked a copy up of myself. But uh, I recently had occasion to watch the uh, Academy Award winning best documentary film from a couple years back called Man on Wire. Oh. Which, of mm -hmm. course, is about uh, Philippe Petit, who... Uh, tightrope walked between mm -hmm. the two towers 
And it's, it's sort of a the movie functions think, if you think about it. It boggles the mind, and it's just a, a stunning accomplishment mm-hmm. of bravura and uh, just artistry. And in in a way, the film allows the uh, World Trade Center to be remembered in a different way because, of course, it's gone now, and people who are high school students uh, really have no recollect. This is how quickly history goes from the current to. When did that? I don't know anything about that. Well, uh, and it's interesting, too, how they've airbrushed the World Trade Center out of movies. Exactly. It's sort of been... Uh, <laughs> you know, this is almost like Joseph Stalin. Like, we, it, it's such a traumatic event, we can't even have it exactly. in a movie that, that that took place in New York that had the World Trade Center in the yeah. background. Well, there was even a Simpsons episode where Homer goes mm-hmm. to New York and has to use the bathroom in the Trade Center, and he goes in the wrong tower and has... They wouldn't... Th- that episode didn't air on TV for a good five or six years after... After mm-hmm. the events of 9/11, because of this uh, imagery, and so uh, if you haven't seen it, or if it's been a while since you've seen it, it did play in town at the Michigan for quite a while. Uh, it's well worth uh, seeing again, uh, Man on Wire. It's a very powerful, emotionally powerful film about the triumph of the human spirit and the uh, ingenuity and uh, just courage. So it, it, again, it allows the uh, the building to sort of have its own legacy apart from the legacy of its destruction, which is an entirely different matter altogether. Mm -hmm. And it's important to realize that that a lot of bin Laden's statements after 9-11 were contradictory regarding his knowledge, foreknowledge, responsibility, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they spent, the plotters, spent about $500,000. And bin Laden specifically argues in 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 this book it's quoted extensively what he thought he claimed i'm put on earth by god to fight jihad and jihad means that i am standing up for muslims who are being humiliated and occupied by the american he doesn't call them the great satan he just calls them um you know <laughs> They're they're bad, and his his main goal was to lure us into Afghanistan, which we did. We have spent in response to nine eleven, and one of the things that I is annoying the heck out of me with regarding this current uh, political uh, primary involving the Republicans, is that there's no focus on any of the actual money that's being spent by the government. Mm-hmm. The George Bush administration created eighty billion dollars of new terrorist anti-terror war on terror infrastructure that's now currently part of the budget never mind the fact that pentagon spending is more than doubled and we have spent close to three and a half trillion dollars on these preposterous policies of the bush administration that unfortunately the obama administration has uh fumbled here and there improved here and there but what i say to the democrats on the super committee Hold tough. Don't compromise. Force these cuts on the Pentagon. I wanted to give out a brain damage award to Leon Panetta. He goes before Congress last week and claims that if we cut $450 billion over 10 years, which is not that much money, it's $45 billion a year, that this will damage American security. This is nonsense. Uh, America can cut back on the Pentagon. And let's remember if this super committee on this debt ceiling agreement that they have do not come up with an agreement regarding the the budget, et cetera, et cetera. These cuts have to be made across the board, 
half on the Pentagon and defense and half on the domestic programs. And if we want to see some serious cuts to the Pentagon, the Democrats on the committee should just simply say, no, we are you're either going to accept some revenue increases or we are going to go with the across the board.